would ask you to please stand with me if you're able out of reverence for the word of our Lord as we look at our passage for this morning. Continuing in our study of Acts this morning, we're going to be looking at, at Acts chapter 3. Acts 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple about at the hour of prayer, about the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, I have no silver or, and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together in the portico called Solomon's, astounded. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed the, these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. May he write his eternal truths upon our hearts for his glory and for the building of his church. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we praise you as we look to your word. Help us, Lord, to, to see Christ in the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to see who Christ is and all that Christ came to do. Help us, Lord, like the Apostle Peter directed the crowds, Lord, not to look to man, but to look to you, Almighty God. To look to you, Lord Jesus Christ. 
Lord, I pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, as Peter and John bore witness of Christ in word and deed, that you would help us as your people and dwelt with the same Spirit. Help us, Lord, to to reflect and to, to mirror Christ in word and in deed. Help us, Lord, to do this. We cannot do any of it on our own, but we rely on you. Almighty God, help us, I pray, for the glory of your name, for Christ's sake. Amen. Please be seated. I spent some time at the Toronto Baptist Seminary, and, and if you um, know Toronto at all, the, the, um, the, where the, the church and the seminary were located at the corner of Jarvis and Gerard, <clears throat> and it's, 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 it's part of a, of a particularly rough neighborhood. And there was a, the street just adjacent to us. I didn't even like walking down the street in broad daylight. It was, it was very, very rough. In fact, someone was just, just murdered there just the other day. So we, ha- we had a lot of, of homeless people. I lived next to the church, and, and we had a lot of homeless people in the park at Allen Gardens across the road and, and, and around the church. And, and we were told, when I first arrived at the seminary, they had, a, they had a talk with the students, and they said, look, we have a, a lot of of homeless people, most of the people here are, are drug addicted, and, and they actually previously had a, a man come and speak to them who had been a drug addict but had come to faith and said, look, do not just, just unwisely give money to homeless people because you're basically, they'll use it and they'll stick it in their arms or to crack pipe. And so they, they wanted us to be, to be wise in, our, in, our, in the way that we dealt with, with the homeless people. And, and one day, it had only been there about a month and the church and seminary were, were hosting a conference, and it was attended by, by delegates from, from all over. And at the end of the conference, we, we were packing up tables. And uh, we're in the, par- in, the, in the parking lot of the, of the church and the seminary, and there was a, a homeless guy walking around asking everybody for money. And uh, I said to him, well, I'm not going to give you money, but, but if you, uh, if, if you um, come and, and help me move tables, I'll, I'll buy you a, a hamburger at Harvey's across the street. And, uh, and so he said, okay. So he started to help me. And as we were moving tables together, we were, we were talking. And I was trying to talk to him about, about the things of Christ. And, uh, and as we were walking out to get another table, one of the deacons of the church grabbed me by the arm, very roughly grabbed me by the arm and turned me around and said, not in the church. He, he was angry that I, I'd allowed this, this, and invited really this, this homeless man into the church. And, uh, and I really, you know, I, I was, was really shocked and, and grieved by this, but, but I admit I, I was new in the area. I didn't, I didn't know some of the, the risks, perhaps, that, that were attendant with, with, with some of these, these individuals. I didn't know the history there, and, and I wanted to, to re, you know, to, to respect, but, but I still, at the same time, I felt I had a, a duty before God to help where I could. But then several months later, there, there was another man uh, I was witnessing to, not a, not a homeless man, but this man was... was was looked pretty rough, and uh, and he came to see me one day at the church. I was working at the church as, as assistant to the to the pastor of the church, and uh, and he and he came inside the church to see me, and I told him I was about to go and, and meet with the pastor, and I said, "Can you just wait here in the foyer um, while I have just, just this quick meeting with the pastor, and then I'll, I'll come out and we can talk." And so I had the the, the brief meeting, and then I, when I walked out. I, I saw that deacon again, and my heart just sunk. And I quickly rushed into the foyer, and of course my friend was, was nowhere to be found. And I've never seen him again. 
I don't know what happened, but I, I can, I think, fairly assume that there was a pretty negative interaction be between these two individuals, and, and my friend just disappeared. This was, this was a man who was very interested in, in hearing the gospel, and really, um, so did I, did I do the, the wrong thing in, in allowing him to, to come into the church to meet with me? I, I really don't think so. Um, but again, I, I think just this shows and, and made me think a little bit about, about what our responsibilities are to, to the needy. Again, we need to be wise, um, but, but we need to seek what God, what God would, would have us do. We need to minister to people's needs, but especially their spiritual needs. Now, the point of Acts chapter 3 is not that we need to feed and clothe and house the homeless. There, there's other passages that deal with our responsibilities there. Nor is the miracle in this passage, of the, the healing of the lame man, the point of the passage. That This is, is not a, a, a command for us to, to set up a healing tent in a church parking lot. The miracle in this passage is an object lesson. It's a sign that points to who Jesus is. The focus is not on the miracle, but what the miracle says about Jesus Christ. And we saw this repeatedly in, in Luke's gospel account, in, in Luke 5, where, where Jesus healed the paralytic. The, the miracle revealed the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. The, the power to heal, and more importantly, the, the authority that he has to forgive sins. Similarly, in, in Luke chapter 7, when the disciples, uh, the, the followers of John the Baptist, came at John's behest to ask Jesus, ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Jesus replied, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. So again, these, these, these things that Jesus lists here reveal who Jesus is and, and what he came to do. We saw this also in, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Right? We saw that Jesus is still at work, sending the Holy Spirit to indwell his people, to work in and through them to build his church. As we also saw in Pentecost, the, the action leads to explanation. The, the miracle leads to a message. The, the sign leads to a sermon. So as, as the crowd came rushing to, at the, the sound of the wind and, and the, as these, these disciples began to speak in other languages, the crowd came rushing to see what's going on. And, and so Peter stood up and preached. And we see the same thing happening here. That, that sign leads to sermon. And so this, this miracle speaks about who Jesus is and it leads to, to Peter's actions as an appointed witness proclaiming who Christ is, first in deed and then in word. So the point of this passage is that Jesus is at work. Jesus is continuing to build his church. I have three main points from this passage. In verses 1 to 10, we'll see revelation. In 11 to 18, we'll see explanation. And in 19 to 26, we'll see application. And yes, we are going to try to work our way through the whole chapter this morning. And no, we're not going to be here all day. The first 10 verses are narrative, and so we'll walk through them rather quickly and spend a little bit more time on, on Peter's sermon. But let me repeat, the point of Acts chapter 3 is ultimately about who Jesus is and what he came to do. So first of all, Revelation in verses 1 to 10. As our passage begins, Peter and John were on their way to the temple for afternoon prayers. There, there were set times uh, at, at 
um, nine in the morning at noon again at, at three, but there were set times when when um, followers of, of Judaism and would, would actually go and worship at the temple. But you can see here that that even though the temple was was now defunct, we talked about this last week in the sense of of the, the um, as far as the sacrifices, the, the temple, the curtain had been torn, and so the, the temple really had no ultimate purpose in the life of, of, of Christians. In the early church, at least, at least until AD 70, when the temple was destroyed, the, the temple had a role in the lives of Christians. So first we see Peter, and then our attention is directed to the paraplegic at the temple gate. Luke tells us that he was, was lame from birth, or, or miraculously, he was, was lame from his mother's womb. And so as, as somebody who was, was crippled in his legs, he was unable to work, and, and therefore depended on the charity of others. But, but even worse than that, being born crippled would have meant that according to Old Testament ceremonial law, he was excluded from temple worship. So, his relatives would, would carry him to the beautiful gate, most likely the gate at the, at the court of the Gentiles, between the court of the Gentiles and the court of women, also called the, the Corinthian gate. And Josephus calls this the, the Nicanor gate. It describes it as, as being made of bronze and, and overlaid with gold and silver. It was, it was very um, ornate. And, and the, his relatives would, would have daily set him there in order to, to, to beg for, for an income, for his sustenance. And so the man would, would ask for alms from the worshipers as they entered through the gate into the temple from the city. Just put yourself in, in his position for a moment. Unable to walk. Completely dependent on the charity of others. Now most people who walked by would have, would have just ignored him. They would have been indifferent to his plight. But not, not the two men who approached him on that afternoon. As Peter and John approached, the man asked them for alms. So Peter looked at him and, and told him to look at them, and, and he expectantly obeyed. But imagine how his, his, his disappointment as Peter began, I have, I have no silver or gold to give you. You know, I, I saw that look many times when I, when I lived in Toronto. We had little cards made up with, with some, some key resources to help um, the homeless people that, that we interacted so we wouldn't... Uh, because we didn't want to give them money. And not that I, I never did, but it's very, very rare. But, but, but so often, when you would say, well, I don't have money, I, but I want to help you, they, their eyes would just glaze over. So this, this man, I imagine he was, would have been disappointed when, this, when he said, we do not have silver or gold to give you. But again, this doesn't provide an excuse uh, for, for us to, to not give money where it's appropriate because we do have silver and gold to give. May God give us wisdom as we seek the resources he's given us for, for his glory and the advance of his kingdom. But, but Peter didn't stop there. He said, don't have silver or gold to give you, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so Peter lifted the man to his feet. And Luke, who we know is a, is a physician, or was a physician, tells us in medical terms that immediately, immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened and were made strong. And for the first time in his life, this man stood up. But he didn't just stand up. He began to walk. And now, for the first time in his life, he entered the temple 
with Peter and John. Again, just stop and think about this. Imagine what this meant for a Jew who had been his whole life, we don't know how old he was, but for his whole life till now, he had been prohibited from, from worshiping in the temple with other believers. And now he was healed and he could worship God with the people of God. And that he did. He was walking and leaping and praising God. The word that, that's translated here, leaping, is it, it's an uncommon word in, in the New Testament, which is, as you know, is written in Greek originally, but, but it's used in the, the Septuagint, which is the, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it's used in Isaiah 53, the passage that, that Daryl read for us earlier, verses 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This passage, Isaiah 35, speaks of eschatological blessing, the fulfillment of God's promises to his people at the end of the age. And so what's really being said here, this, this points to the fact that the new era has dawned. That the, the new the, the end of the age is being ushered in as God's promises are being fulfilled through Jesus and through the church. We'll see a very similar, similar, uh, similar miracle in Acts chapter 14 at the hands of Paul. It's a, it's a theme we'll see, we'll see throughout Acts. Now, of course, we can't tell people to, to rise up and walk, but we can tell them in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Repent and be saved, and we can help you to walk with Christ. We can show compassion on the poor and seek to meet their physical needs, and especially their, their spiritual needs. It's not an either or, it's, it's both and. And in the healing of, of Peter, in the healing by Peter, this, this man was, or Peter was meeting both of them. He was, he was healing him, and Peter was, was giving him new life. Now this man would, would be able to work, but, but not just that. Again, he would be able to worship in the temple. And from his response of, of worship, it really seems that this man wasn't just healed, that this man was saved. People all recognized him as the man who had been born lame and, and sat at the gate begging. They, they'd walk past him every day. In fact, they'd just walk past him just now. And we, as we saw in the, the response to the miracle on Pentecost, they were, the people were filled with wonder and amazement of what had taken place. But as we also saw repeatedly in Luke's gospel account, and, and we'll see regularly in Acts, that, that people are filled with wonder at, at, and amazement at what Christ did, and then what Christ does through the apostles. But, but the question is, are they filled with worship? It's quite a different thing to be filled with, with wonder and amazement. It's quite different to be filled with wonder and amazement than being filled with worship. Wonder and amazement does not always lead to worship. They see Christ doing amazing things. They see Christ doing amazing things and then they see Christ doing amazing things mediated through his people. But do they come to saving faith? R.C. Sproul tells of, of the story of, of Thomas Aquinas visiting Rome and having an audience with Pope Innocent II. And Aquinas was was amazed by the, the opulence in the Vatican. It was filled with riches, and the, the, and the Pope, being, being proud of, of the riches, said to Aquinas, 
No longer do we say, silver and gold have we none. And Thomas looked at the Pope and said, maybe that's why we can no longer say, rise up and walk. Now, as Sproul says, that the, the, the church's riches were not the reason why the, the church lost its power to, to heal people. Rome lost its power to even preach the gospel to people and rejecting the gospel. I believe that this, this period, these, these, this, these miracles, these signs done by the apostles that we read about in Acts chapter 2, 43, we read about Acts 2, 43, these signs of the apostles were, were a sign that, that showed what, what God was doing. That, that Christ was still at work in these men and they were, they were in the power of the Spirit establishing the church. So as Sproul says, I guess, even though the Aquinas would, would recognize this, he, he said, I guess Aquinas, Thomas did not want to miss the opportunity to jab the Pope. The opulence of the Roman Catholic Church shows a wrong response to the poor and sends a wrong message about Christ. And that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. It's about, about accurately reflecting Christ. It's about the church following in the footsteps of Christ for the glory of God. Not just so we can feel good, not just so that we can, we can pat ourselves on our back and, 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 and help somebody temporally, but not help them spiritually. Many people in the so-called New Apostolic Reformation claim to be able to heal people. But how many of, of these so-called miracles are verifiable? The, the video American Gospel shows false teacher Todd White pretending to lengthen someone's leg. But then when they slow the frames down and, and zoom in, they, they show that it's just it's a parlor trick. It's a scam. It's a con. That really, if, if true miracles are the sign of real apostles, what are false miracles a sign of? False teachers and false apostles. This deception tells lies about Christ and the church, but again reveals the truth about Todd White and men like him. But Peter and John provide a, a, a perform a bona fide miracle. Again, this is one of the wonders and signs that we, we heard about in, in Acts 2.43. This is a bona fide miracle. We, now, we haven't seen this kind of miracle. I would love to see this kind of miracle. But we've seen greater miracles. In fact, if you were hit, sitting here this morning as a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, you are one of those greater miracles. You have not just been raised up from the ground You've been raised up to new life in Christ. And this is a far greater miracle than, than even commanding somebody to, to get up and walk who's never walked before. This is a miracle that, that takes place in the, in the heart of a person through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, it's because the Holy Spirit has, has taken out a rebellious, wicked heart and replaced it with a heart of love and worship for God. And then as those who have been raised up to new life in Christ, we now are called, commanded to testify of what Christ has done for us. How will other people know if we don't show them and tell them? I wonder, do, do your family members and do old friends recognize the difference that Christ has made in your life? I, I would encourage you to, to even 
to go back to, to some of your old friends and, 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 and tell them and show them the difference that Christ has made in your life and give him the glory. And then in this, come and praise God with the people of God. Give glory to God in your own life and amongst the saints for, for, what, for what he has done in your life, for what he is doing, and rejoice in hope for what he will do. And so in, in so doing, you're, you're spurring the saints on to love and good deeds. We show that we are different because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, just as God did with the Holy Spirit in Peter. And so in this interaction with this with this poor, lame man, Peter was glorifying Christ. So what, what I wonder is, does your interaction with, with the poor, and not just the, 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 the materially poor, but the spiritually poor, what, what does your, your interaction with the, the spiritually poor, with the, the, those who are destitute spiritually, what does that say about you? What does it say about the church. What does it say about Christ? Does it say that, that because, because of Christ in you, because of the, the Holy Spirit shed abroad in your heart and that the love of God shed abroad in your heart through the Holy Spirit, that, that you now, out of the overflow of that love, now you love others and you want others to experience the, the love and the forgiveness of Christ. May God strengthen us, church, to be intentional in our relationships. That, that we see every relationship, again, not, not just as a, as a, as a seeking with somebody as a spiritual scalp, but, but out of genuine love for people, to, to love and serve people because Christ has loved and served you. And then we ask the question, well, what does this miracle say about, about Peter and John? And what does this miracle say about the ch this new church? What does this miracle say about Christ? Well, Peter is about to tell us. In, in verses 11 to 18, we see the explanation. So here, the, the newly healed man, we, we find him clinging to Peter and John. He's, he's sticking as close as he can to the apostles. Further evidence that makes it very likely that he was indeed born again. But like in Acts 2, the, the people were astonished and, and ran to see what's happening. And they, they gathered at, at Simon's portico. This is the, the colonnade that ran along the, the east side of the court of the Gentiles. According to John 10.23, Jesus had also taught at this location. And like in Acts 2, when, when Peter saw the crowd assembling, he, he seized the opportunity and preached. So now he preaches a second sermon. Again, he's explaining the meaning of what has taken place. Again, it's sign followed by proclamation, miracle, and then message. Yet again, we, we see the, the difference that the Holy Spirit has made in Peter's life. That, that he's being empowered as a witness for Christ by the Holy Spirit. Just as Christ had commissioned him in Acts 1.8. And, and this sermon shares some similar contact Content from the sermon that we saw in Acts chapter 2. He, he explains that the, 
what the people are, are seeing and then draws a direct line to the crucifixion of Christ and of the need for repentance and the promise of salvation in him. Both sermons do this. However, in the, the Pentecost sermon, Peter focused on the, the exposition of three Old Testament passages to so, show who Christ is and what he came to do. Whereas in this passage, he refers to, to more broadly to a, a lot more Old Testament material, but he summarizes it more briefly and spends more time on the application. And in this sermon, Peter actually teaches us more about Christ. He also teaches us more about present and eschatological promises that are fulfilled in Christ. The, the blessings that we receive as Christians now and upon Christ's return. So Peter addressed the people saying, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him whole, but we have made him walk? Again, Peter addresses a, a radical misconception. In Pentecost, the radical misconception w- was that the 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 these speaking of different languages, was, was merely the, the babblings of drunks. But this time, the radical misconception was that the miracle was performed by mere men. So Peter tells them, it was not by our special powers. It was not because we're so pious that God would answer our prayers. Immediately, Peter points them away from people to Christ. Saying, why are you looking at us? You should be looking at Christ. He draws a direct line here back to the Old Testament, back to Genesis, to the, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the, the God of, the, of their forefathers, the God of the patriarchs. This God, the one who made the covenant with their forefathers, glorified Jesus. Now, th- there is a, a common false teaching in the, in, in the church known as the, the eternal subordination of the Son. And, and in this 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 false teaching, it says that it says that all worship of Christ ultimately redounds to the Father. That we don't worship Christ in, of, in and of himself. That, that we only worship that through Christ, we all of our worship ultimately goes to the Father. Well, that, that's just false. The, the scriptures do not say that. Here in this place, we see very clearly that the Father glorified Jesus. The Father glorified Jesus. There, there is folks, and the, the Trinity is not three gods. It's one God in three persons. And all worship and glory is shared equally by each member of the Trinity. But notice here the word that Peter uses to describe Jesus. He refers to, to Jesus as God's servant. And now just, just briefly, in Christ for the purposes of salvation for a limited time, Christ is the God-man submitted to the Father. This is a temporary, again, for the purposes of salvation. But just think about this for a moment, that, that here Christ is referred to as God's servant. Now, this term is, is applied directly to Christ only in Acts, but it's implied in other places in the New Testament. For example, Mark 10 45, the, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. However, Christ as the servant, as the suffering servant, finds itself most clearly in the servant songs of Isaiah. 
There, there are four servant songs towards the end of, of Isaiah. The fourth servant, servant song, Isaiah 52.13 to 53.12, and, and the most uh, well-known of the servant songs, really seems to be in the background and, and form the basis for this, for this part of his message, of Peter's message. Let's, let's go there. Acts, or sorry, Isaiah chapter uh, 52. Uh, 52, 13, and 14. Now, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And then in Isaiah 53, 12, part of the same servant song, of uh, sorry, 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall seem be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall, shall the righteous one, notice that phrase too, my servant, make many be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. He shall bear their iniquities. So Peter here is saying that, that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy of God glorifying his servant. Although it runs very counter, in fact, exactly opposite of, of our human thinking, let alone to, to Jewish and Gentile thinking in the, in the ancient Near East, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was his glorification. Crucifixion was, was considered a, a, a shameful way to die. It was a shameful way to die. But Christ bore our shame, he bore our curse on the cross. And in the crucifixion, as I've said many times, we see all of the attributes of God most powerfully displayed. The crucifixion was his glorification and it led to his exaltation and to the people's astonishment. Peter is saying here, don't glorify us. Glorify the God of our forefathers who glorified his son. May we never be among those who glorify men. And I think even in our circles, we sometimes have a tendency to, to glorify men as we, as we, we have their, some of our favorite preachers we like to listen to online and we hang on every word. And at times I think this amounts to, to an idol worship of these men. We're forgetting that, that any gifting, any ability that, that any, any preacher has, especially this one, is really the work of God. It's really the work of God. So he's saying, don't glorify us, glorify God. Glorify Jesus Christ. But he says, you didn't glorify him. You denied him. You delivered him. And you crucified him. Technically, you, you handed him over to the Romans and they crucified him. Either way, his blood is on your hands. Again, their, their guilt here is fourfold. First, you delivered Jesus to death. You handed him over to the Romans for crucifixion. Second, you denied the holy and righteous one. Now, holy and righteous one here, again, it, it echoes Isaiah 53, is a messianic title and it tells us a lot about who Christ is. He is the sinless servant anointed by God as the redeemer of his people. So Peter is saying here, you denied the Messiah. 
The third charge is that they did not just deny the Messiah, that they chose a murderer, that chose Barabbas instead. And the fourth charge is that they killed the author of life. He is the one who is the source of life, but they killed him. Oh, the irony. Unrighteous men would deny the holy and righteous one. And they would choose a wicked murderer and would find and would themselves be murderers by killing the author of life. But if we just stop and think of, of their guilt, wow, look at what those Jews did. We forget that we did the same thing. That was your guilt and mine that necessitated the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And we might not directly choose our murderer, have chosen a murderer instead of Christ, but every time we chose sin, an idol in our heart, instead of Jesus, we're doing something equally heinous. And that was all of us prior to our conversion. And, and sadly, still quite often, it is still something we do on a regular basis. They killed the author of life. We killed the author of life. But praise God, he didn't stay dead. As Peter explained quite clearly and powerfully in the sermon in Acts 2, death had no hold on him. God raised him from the dead. He says, to this we are witnesses. Again, very clearly, Peter is declaring that he and the other apostles are witnesses for Christ as Christ had commissioned them. Now verse 16, which is really the crux of the sermon. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, as you stop it and, and look at that sentence, it, it looks, the construction there is really awkward. It just, it doesn't, it, at first it said, and his name, by faith in his name, is not a normal way that, that you would begin a sentence. But what Peter is doing is he, he's, he's bringing Christ to the head of the sentence. He's emphasizing Christ. He's saying his name, by faith in his name, this man has been made whole. He's putting Christ in the first position. Friends, the, the name of Christ is not a magic word. It's not something as though you can just manipulate God into doing what you want because you add in Jesus' name onto your prayer. The, the name of Jesus Christ, you can pray in Jesus' name without ever saying the name Jesus. Prayer in Jesus' name is prayer according to his power and his authority. He's saying that, Peter is in effect saying that it, 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 it was Jesus who did it. It was Jesus who did it. It is by faith in Jesus that this man was healed, not the faith of the, of the man who was healed, though it seems to have resulted again in his having faith. He was healed through Peter's faith, though not by Peter's power. And in fact, Peter's saying here that it might have been my hand, but the power belongs to Christ. It might have been my hand, but the power belongs to Christ. He is healed by the power and the authority of Jesus. And so in, in this, this reveals the, the continuity between the, the ministry of Jesus Christ and the ministry of the church. Jesus is still healing people. Now he did it through people. Jesus was still at work. Jesus is still at work. Then it was through the apostles in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Now it's through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus grants new life and ushers in the new era. And Jesus Christ is still at work granting new life and ushering in the new era. And Peter says in, uh, in verses, verses 17 and 18 that they, they acted in ignorance. We see a parallel of that in the, from the cross as Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Luke 23, 34. It says they were ignorant. It doesn't mean that, that they didn't realize they were sinning and denying Jesus and handing him over to be crucified. It's not that they weren't culpable. Peter has very clearly demonstrated their guilt. Rather, it's that they did not understand from the scriptures who Jesus was or the full implications of their actions. Paul explains it more fully in Acts 13.27. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. They fulfilled the scriptures without understanding the scriptures. But now with the, the dawning of the end times and the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the church, the Spirit-led proclamation of the Word of God, they can no longer claim ignorance. Those times are over. In our culture and in our day, the only ignorance that we see is willful ignorance. People are, are sticking their, their fingers in their ear, ears and closing their eyes and saying, I don't believe. But this is not atheism, this is anti-theism. This is hatred of God. Now in Acts chapter 2, Peter, uh, Peter again does not focus just on man's responsibility. He speaks of God's sovereignty. We see it here as well in verse 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Friends, God is not the author of of sin. Wicked men act according to their fallen will, but their actions were part of God's plan. And God's plan was well attested in the Old Testament scriptures, not only in the, the, the suffering servant passages, but the shadows and types all the way through the Old Testament, through the Pentateuch, the, the history, the, the Psalms and the prophets. And now comes the application, verses 19 to 26. Like in Acts chapter 2, Peter tells his listeners what they must do in light of these truths. Again, he gives the command to, to repent, and then again he gives the promise of forgiveness. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Now, repentance is, is not just a matter of, of turning from, from individual sins, but from an entire life of sin. I, I sometimes use the term Small s sins versus capital S sin. And for the, the unbeliever, the entire life is sin because without faith it is impossible to please God. So even the, the righteous deeds of an unbeliever are, are wickedness. They're filthy in the eyes of God. So it's not just a matter of, of individual sins, but of your whole life. It's not just a matter of repentance. It's not just a matter of turning away from, from your whole life. It's about turning to Christ. It's about repenting and by faith, believing in Jesus and receiving Jesus. And Peter says that when you do this, you will be blessed. Now Peter describes three blessings for those who repent and turn to Christ in faith. And it's followed by a warning. One, your sins will be blotted out. They, they will be completely erased. They will be wiped away. You know, as, as our kids are, are learning to write, their, their eraser is used almost as much as the pointy end of their pencil. 
but they're really not very good at, at rubbing stuff out. Right? You can still see the, 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 the lines coming through and then they kind of erase half the stuff. But, but as John Sod explains it, this term, this term blotted out, it was used to describe the, the washing of papyri. Remember they, they, they would, at, in that era, they would, they were right on, on papyrus um, reeds that had been flattened and, and turned into paper. But the ink that they, that they used on these, on this papyrus was, it didn't soak into the paper, it just sat on top of the paper. So if you wanted to, to remove something from the papyrus that was written in, in this ink, it just would, would easily just wipe off. And that's what, that's what he's saying here. It's, it's, it's completely, the sin is completely wiped away. It's completely removed. When you trust in Christ, your sins are completely wiped away. Isaiah 118, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they'll become like wool. When you turn to Christ, your guilt is gone without a trace. And your penalty has been completely paid for by Christ. Two, second blessing. Not the second blessing. The second blessing. The times of refreshing may come. Some commentators take this to refer to, to the, the millennial reign of Christ. And, I, and that's possible, but, but I, I think here it refers to participation in the blessings of the present age of blessing that Peter just spoken about in Acts chapter 2. The inauguration of the end of the age that was demonstrated by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It has benefits of the receiving and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and a participation in the life of the church. Third blessing. I believe the third blessing is, is the sending of Christ, the, the return of Christ. Peter here seems to deal with this as a, as a second thing from the, um, from the time of, of, of refreshing to a time of, of restoration. Notice he says, And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things. So, so this, this latter reference here of, of Christ of, of heaven receiving Christ is, is a reference to the ascension of Christ. Right? This is a doctrine that uh, many people have spoken about. They didn't really think much about the ascension, but once, once you see it, it's, it's there quite a bit um, in the scriptures. So it's the, the Christ has been received bodily into heaven and he will one day bodily return. And it's only at this point when things will be restored. Everything will be as it was in the Garden of Eden before the fall. No more sin, no more death. Unity with God. Open fellowship with God. It'll be even more. It'll be our glorification in Christ. But again, this is only a blessing for those who repent and believe. For unbelievers, God's wrath and God's fury remains on them. So now the warning. Peter speaks about the fact that God spoke about this through the mouth of his prophets. And he mentions specifically Moses. Deuteronomy 18, Moses prophesied that God would raise up a prophet like him. He says, to him you'll listen. What does that remind you of? The Mount of Transfiguration, Luke 9.35, as, as God spoke out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. But Deuteronomy 18 also says, but those who do not listen to Christ will be condemned. They'll be judged. And so Jesus Christ is the prophet whose coming was foretold by Moses and disobedience to Christ will yield eternal 
judgment, eternal damnation. Peter then refers to Samuel as the, the first prophet after Moses and, and then all the other prophets who followed him. They, they, they spoke of these times that were coming but have now arrived. Peter's saying these are the days of fulfillment. We saw this also last weekend or a couple weeks ago in, in, through, as, as Peter proclaimed the, the promises to Joel and to David in Peter's Sermon on Pentecost. The whole of the Old Testament bears witness to Jesus Christ and his establishment of the church. So like in Acts chapter 2, Peter speaks of the promise in these last couple of verses. He speaks about you being sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, the covenant of God with Abraham. I remember when Abraham was put into a sound sleep as, as after, after he had, had slain a bunch of animals and, and had them their entrails laid out in a line and Abraham was put into a sound by God into a sound sleep and, and the smoking firebrand and the, and, the, and the torch or the pot rather fire pot walked through in between the animals the slain animals alone while Abraham slept this was, was a sign of, of the Abrahamic covenant and, and what was happening there is while Abraham slept God walked through and in this in this this covenant, what's saying is that if I break the covenant, let what happened to the animals happen to me. These, these covenants were made by by kings around this era, and 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 God was speaking to them in their language, saying this this covenant, these act, this this representation of the covenant is a picture of my covenant that I make with you, Abraham, and your offspring, Abraham. While you sleep, I am upholding both sides of the covenant, and I will be punished as a covenant breaker. As what happened to those animals happened to Jesus Christ. But this promise, again, it was for the Jews. And remember, this at this point, this is still in the, the Jerusalem phase of, of the apost apostolic ministry. It's going to soon go to Judea and Samaria, all of Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. But initially here, speaking of the, this promise to the Jews, but notice that, that here we see the promise, it's not just for Jews but that all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Brothers and sisters, that's you and me. We are the recipients of these covenant blessings. As those who have been engrafted into Israel and are, are part of the, the recipients of, of the covenant promises that God made to Abraham. God fulfilled his covenant to Abraham and to us in Jesus Christ. So these people, these Jews, are descendants of prophets but, and descendants of Abraham, but, but it's not just the Jews. It's brothers and sisters, it's us too. So there's a future focus on the Gentiles that, that's being foreshadowed here as well. And then in verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning, turning every one of you from your wickedness. Again, this is inclusive. This is Jew and Gentile. God has raised up his servant, Jesus Christ, to bless those who heard Peter's sermon by turning them away from their sin and to bless those who are hearing this sermon by turning you and me away from our sin. We are blessed abundantly in Jesus Christ. We, we might not see, we probably won't see miraculous healing in this life. We've seen spiritual healing. We have seen 
eternal healing. All of those who were physically healed, even this, this man born lame, eventually died. But I trust that he went to be with Christ. And he is now in paradise with Christ. As is true for all who trust in Christ. And then so for us as the church, as we, we seek now to, to continue the ministry of Christ, that he began, that he continued through the apostles, and now he, be, he continues through us. Now we are his hands and his feet and his mouth, empowered by the Holy Spirit to continue to build his church. The church continues the work that Christ began, and in so doing, we reflect Christ in a way parallel to how Peter reflected Christ. Now, we don't do this in our own strength. We don't do anything in our own strength. Me standing here trying to preach a sermon in my own strength is like me trying to do a, a roadside operation with a penknife on someone's heart. I am woefully ill-equipped to do anything You are woefully ill-equipped to do anything apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so we, as the people of, of Christ, continue the ministry of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're, we're going to see, Lord willing, the, the response to, to Peter's sermon. But this response is not going to be like the response to his first sermon. We're not going to see... 3,000 people converted. In fact, we're going to see a rise of opposition to the ministry of the word. And that's a theme that's going to continue very prominently throughout the book of Acts. There will be response to God's word. Some people will respond in repentance and faith, but other people will respond with, with hatred towards God and towards his messengers. But we can trust as the people of God that, as we saw at the end of, of Acts chapter 2, that the Lord will still add to the church, those who are being saved. Let's pray together. Our great and glorious triune God, we marvel at the opportunity and the privilege we have to participate in the glorification of your name, to participate in the advance of your kingdom. Help us to do this conscious of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be bold in the proclamation of the gospel. Help us to be bold in, in, in trying to, to meet people's not just felt needs, but, but their most important needs, their spiritual needs. And to testify of life and hope that can be found only through the name of Jesus Christ, the only Savior. We pray this in his name. Amen.